0: Hello, and welcome to Can't Make This S**t Up. I'm Cassie.
1: And I'm Mark, her dad, a true crime professional, currently a traffic homicide investigator in South Florida.
0: And we hope you guys enjoy. Okay, so this is our last episode of our coverage of the highway of tears just a couple of announcements before we begin if you could please please give us a review on apple Podcasts because it really helps us get out there and it helps more people find us even if you don't listen on that app just log on for a sec
1: one second give us a like
0: yeah just even if it's just a couple words like we really really appreciate it
1: good job
0: and thank you to those who've already done it
1: yes thank you very much we appreciate the support
0: okay last announcement Please submit some more questions. We are loving all the ones that have been submitted so far. So you can submit questions to our email address, which is can't make this shit up pod at gmail.com. Or if you follow the link that's posted in our Instagram bio, there's a link there where you can submit questions or you can also submit case suggestions. So thank you to all of you who've given us questions so far. And thank you to all of you who've reached out and given us case suggestions. We're going to be covering them all soon.
1: We're going to get to them eventually.
0: On to our last episode, or I shouldn't say our last episode, our last episode of The Highway of Tears. Our first victim this week is Chastity Charlie, who was Indigenous and was a member of the Cheslata Carrier First Nations and lived in Burns Lake. So on January 26, 2011, at 3.45 p.m., Chasity's mother, Geraldine Charlie, came home to find her daughter on the floor dead with her face burnt, half of her hair gone, and her cell phone missing. Wow. Yeah, crazy. Four months later, in May of 2012, a 17-year-old male who lived in Burns Lake was arrested and charged with second-degree murder in connection with Chasity's death. His name has never been released because he's a minor. The police also have never named a motive for the boy's actions
2: okay
1: they say how old he is or no
0: he was 17 at the time of the murder Uh,
1: how do you not release his name once you commit murder and you're found guilty, like fuck you like
0: so i'll talk about it here in a little bit but they actually have a law in canada where if you're under the age of 18 your name is not allowed to be released to the public
1: that's stupid law but all
2: right
0: well it's interesting because i assume the reason why like they don't do that here is because part of our constitutional rights is freedom of the press so i don't think that they can like legally tell them not you know right. to om- omit certain things
1: i think i think if you commit a like if you commit murder i think you give up that right of anonymity
0: yeah no i agree you i know, mean like I, un- understand I understand protecting
1: children's names for sure well but... i was
0: just gonna say i under i understand it in terms of victims and i understand it in terms of like you know if you just commit some petty crime like do i think that that should follow you around the rest of your life like no no.
2: for
1: murder especially if you're 17 like here you'll be tried as an adult more cases than not so the fact that you know he's a murderer a convicted murderer he loses that right people should know that he's a murderer Sorry. Well,
0: I think in Canada, just from like this case or not this specific case, but the Highway of Tears in general, I think from what I've gathered, it's a lot harder. It, It is possible, but it's a lot more difficult in Canada to try children as adults. Okay. Like I think the criteria, like in order to do that, is a lot harder to meet. Okay. Cause you don't see it very often. There's one case that we'll talk about later in particular where they tried to try him as an adult, but they couldn't because like I, I think there's a lot of criteria you have to meet to like prove that.
2: Okay. All right.
0: So the next case is a very strange and mysterious missing persons case. Okay. It's the case of twenty year old Madison Geraldine Scott. So Madison went by the nickname Maddie, so I'm gonna call her that yep. on the night of May. 20- 27th, 2011, Maddie went with her friend, Jordy Bullduck to a party that was being thrown down at Hogsback Lake in Vanderhoof.
1: Wait, you just said a lot of crazy names and words. Hold on.
0: Maddie's the victim. Right, Maddie. She has a friend from high school. Her name's Jordy Bullduck.
1: Bullduck.
0: Yeah. B-O-L-D-U-C, Bullduck.
1: Oh, Bullduck. Okay. I thought Um, it was Bullduck, like a bull, like an animal bull. B-U-L-L.
0: Honestly, that would be a cooler name in my opinion.
1: Probably. but And then you then you said something about they were where?
0: Yeah. So I'm just going to call her Jordy from here on out. But Maddie and her friend Geordie. Right. Because th- she they're already 20 years old at this point, but they knew each other from high school.
2: Right. Right.
0: So they decide they're going to go to a party, which is being thrown down at Hogsback Lake, which is located in Vanderhoof.
1: Love those names. Awesome.
0: Hogsback Lake. I actually really like the name of that. Hogsback.
1: Hogsback Lake. It just
0: sounds like a fun ass time. Like I'm going down to Hogsback Lake.
1: That would be a good like. Good pub name, the Hogsback.
0: You know it's funny you say that because the first image I got from Hogsback when I said it is, what's that bar in Key West?
1: Hogs Breath.
0: Hogs Breath. That's what I and I was picturing. You know how they're like little yeah, the boar. Yeah, the logo is like the boar's head. Yeah. Anyway, if you ever go to breath. if you ever go to Key West, go to Hogs, Hogs Breath. breath yeah, they're going to this party down at Hogsback Lake. Maddie and Jordy have been close friends in high school, but as with a lot of high school friendships, their friendship had kind of dwindled somewhat after graduation because they were both kind of doing their own thing. But they decided to attend this party together. And a lot of people from their high school were also going to be attending. All
2: right.
0: So Maddie knew several people there. The party had been advertised on Facebook. So there was approximately about 50 people at this party at the lake. Okay. So Maddie had picked Jordy up for the party they arrived together in maddie's white 1990 ford pickup truck maddie had also brought a dual tone two-person tent because she and jordy planned to camp out at the lake rather than drive home because they were going to be drinking and all that
1: okay trying to be responsible
0: from what i can gather like that was kind of like a popular party spot and a lot of kids like did that where they would just camp down there okay So while at the party, Maddie grew tired and decided to go to sleep in her tent while Jordy continued to party. So at around midnight, a drunken fight broke out and Jordy was involved in the fight. But Maddie was already asleep at this point. Jordy was pretty intoxicated and had gotten injured in the fight. So she decided to leave with her new boyfriend who she'd been seeing. So Jordy went to the tent, woke Maddie up and, and tried to convince her to leave with them. But Jordy claims Maddie refused. So Jordy and her boyfriend left telling Maddie that they would come back the following morning. Okay. So at 8.30 a.m. the next morning, Jordy and her boyfriend came back to the campsite, which I was like, good for you getting there at 8.30 in the morning. Like after a heavy night of drinking, like you must have been hungover as fuck.
1: And fighting. And
0: <laughs> I know, like, you must have woke up because think about it. You were drinking mm. all that time. And then you just to get, get there at, at 8 30 means you were up by like 7 30. Right. So Jordy went to the tent to pick up her clothes and her sleeping bag, which she'd left behind the night before. Jordy saw Maddie's truck was still there but didn't see Maddie and she wasn't in the tent. Jordy found the tent already unzipped and inside all of the sleeping bags and, and all the personal items in the tent had kind of been pushed to one side of the tent. She didn't really think much of it. She just thought, oh, maybe she's like, you know, in the bathroom or taking a walk, whatever, thinking she'd catch up with Maddie later and um, not wanting to be late for work. Jordy grabbed her things and she and the boyfriend left. Wow. Okay. So that night there was another large party at Hogsback Lake. Maddie's sister attended this party later when questioned by the police, Maddie's sister and all of the other party goers stated that they had not seen Maddie at that party the entire night. Okay. So however, one party goer who has never been named publicly, they saw Maddie's tent there and they drunkenly flattened the tent.
1: Okay. Was her truck still there?
0: Yes. Okay. After Maddie hadn't been home in two days, her parents went to the lake and seeing her flattened tent and the abandoned truck, they reported her missing to the RCMP. The RCMP went down to Hogsback Lake to investigate and search for Maddie. In the tent, they found Maddie's sleeping bag all her toiletries and some costume pieces of jewelry okay. in the bed of her truck. They found a hatchet, a cooler, which still had wine and beer in it, a gas can w- that had a little bit of gasoline in it and motorcycle boots. The truck was locked when police arrived, but they opened it up and inside of the truck, they found some of Maddie's clothes, her purse, and an expensive camera. So immediately the police didn't believe it was a case of robbery. Cause all of her items right. were still there. Right. The only items which police determined were missing were the clothes that Maddie had been last seen wearing, iPhone 4, which was in a robin's egg blue case, and a gothic style lanyard, which had held all of her keys, including the truck's key. Okay. Police questioned every single attendee of both parties. Every person was reportedly cooperative and each person agreed to take a polygraph test. Although just like in the U.S., polygraph tests are not admissible in court in Canada.
2: Right. Okay.
0: Jordy later claimed to the press that she had been given several polygraph tests and had passed them. What's your feeling on polygraph tests? Because for me personally, I don't really understand why police still give them when they're not admissible anyway. And on top of that, I don't feel that they're reliable anyway. So what's the point?
1: They're just used as an investigative tool. Like there's a, a new, it's not a polygraph test. It's done on, a, on the computer. It's called the computer voice. I think it's CVS. Oh, voice it's stress computer. analysis. Correct. I've Seasonally. heard of it. And my my old partner when I was in, in in the General Investigations Unit, he actually got trained on it and it was very accurate. It's used more but I don't know if it's actually accepted or not. I haven't researched that any further, but you know, polygraphs are people can learn how to to beat them. You know, like that's the problem with them is why they're not admissible is because you can kind of train yourself to, you know, awesome.
0: beat the questions
2: or Right.
0: The other part that I don't understand is a yes, you can you can train I know I mean there's been plenty of cases where murderers have passed it and then it's proven that they did it. Right. Second of all, there's also plenty of cases where people fail them and they end up having nothing to do with it. Yeah, like it's just like they're because I I've never had to take a polygraph test, obviously, but if I did, I'm just somebody who has so much anxiety, like normally, that I can guarantee you I would fit. Even if you just right now as a joke gave me one, I'd probably get nervous enough that I would fail it.
1: And that's part of the problem. I mean, you know, because it's just a tool and. Usually like I'll speak for like in homicides, we don't normally use it too often, but if the investigator is giving you a polygraph, they probably already kind of know that you're the person and they're just using that as an extra piece to of the puzzle you know, so to speak to, to put the case together, but usually there's other evidence and stuff that they're going to naturally rely upon that, you know, to, to get the conviction or whatever. But again, it's just a tool that you use to kind of steer, you know, steer the investigation a certain way, or it exonerates people that aren't, you know, like in the regular homicide, they they used to use them quite often, but I think they've gotten away from, from using them. So
0: I know for a fact that if I ever was like, suspected of committing like murder I would look so guilty because the first thing I would do is I would be like I want an attorney I'm not talking to any of anybody second of all I would never take a polygraph like I don't care if they if they were like listen like we just want to I'd be like no not doing it
2: yeah,
1: well,
0: which I'm sure good. that doesn't look good, but
1: no, no, but that's, I mean, that's your right. So,
0: well, so. it's interesting because I will say the police in Maddie's case, they did pull out all the stops. Like you'll, you'll see, as we like go, they tracked down every single person at either one of these parties, which is a lot of people. We'll find out the exact okay. number as we go on. Okay. Cause I already told you the first party had 50 people. The second right. party was even bigger, Okay. but they literally spoke to every single person there and gave almost all of them polygraph tests. Wow.
1: That's a lot. That's a, Because you don't just like sit down and they hook you up and you're done in five minutes. Like there's a whole process where they ask you the questions first. They get like the the base questions and they hook you up and then they do it. You know, it's like a whole takes a while. So,
0: well, and I think that they must have been like pretty suspicious of Jordy just because she herself even like admitted that they gave her multiple polygraph tests. Right. The police. They also collected all of Maddie's items, which had been found, obviously. They also requested that Jordy give them back the items that she had taken from the tent the morning after. So she complied with that. She gave them back her sleeping bag, a pillow and a pillowcase. Upon examining Jordy's sleeping bag, police discovered blood inside of it, which they tested and it matched Jordy.
2: Okay.
0: Jordy claimed that the blood was old and it had come from an old school trip when she had cut her ankle. I assume the police took that out of, for yeah. what it was. Right. The police also secured Maddie's phone records and they were able to develop a timeline that established the that night Okay. So this is the timeline at approximately 8 p.m. Maddie and Jordy arrived at the lake okay. at 830 p.m. Maddie realized that she'd packed the wrong tent poles. So she returned to her house to get the correct ones before leaving. She spoke briefly to another friend at the party whose name was Don okay. at 930 a.m. Maddie arrives back at the lake. So it took her an hour like she left at 830 and she was back by 930. OK, so she arrived back with the correct tent poles. She sets up the tent. And then she decides to go to sleep for the night. I guess she was just like, fuck this. I just had to drive all the way home. (laughs) Okay. So by 10 PM, Maddie's already in her tent at 11 PM. Maddie has a conversation over text with her mom at 1230 AM. Maddie receives a phone call from a male friend who's never been publicly named shortly after Maddie received that call. Jordy goes into the tent and that's when she asks Maddie to leave with her because she was leaving. So this was at 1230 AM. Okay. Maddie tells her, no, I'm going to stay. I'm already like in my tent. According to witnesses, Maddie stayed in her tent after Jordy left as well.
2: Okay.
0: At 1.40 a.m., people began leaving the party. Several people who knew Maddie opened the tent and asked if she wanted to leave with them. But Maddie declined. Okay. At 8.30 a.m. is when Jordy and her boyfriend arrived back at the lake. At 10.30 a.m., so two hours after Jordy went, mm-hmm. the party's host came back to the lake to clean up which I thought was nice. I feel like a lot of young people wouldn't do that. Like, it's nice right. that you like went back to clean up, like good for you. Yeah. So he told police that he saw Maddie's tent and it was stripped closed and he didn't attempt to disturb her because he assumed she was you know, still, still asleep in there. Okay. So that night is the night that an even larger party happens where there right. is about 150 people attending this time. It's not until the following morning after that party that she's reported missing. The police searched well, essentially
1: the- it was two days after.
0: Right. It's okay. her parents because she's 20 years old. So right. her parents thought like they knew she was going to this party the night before. So they just thought, oh, we we missed her because, you know, they're going to work doing like stuff. Right. And then, you know, it wasn't until the next evening where they're like, wait a minute. Right. Where is she? Right. The police searched the area extensively. So the lake itself is about 120 acres in size. Its deepest point is 22 feet deep, so it's pretty right. deep. Right. The water is very clear with up to 10-foot visibility. Police searched the lake. They searched all the area around it by foot, by quad, on horseback. They used helicopter with infrared. Divers and in boats searched the lake itself. Cadaver dogs were used. Right. However, no sign of Maddie was ever found or any of those missing items. Right. Eventually, the family hired a private investigator. After questioning those at the party, the private investigator found Jordy to be strange. He claimed that when he spoke to Jordy, she seemed more concerned about getting back her favorite pillow from the detectives rather than figuring out what happened to Maddie.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: Like he said when he talked to her, that all she was just upset that they had taken her pillow.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Which I'm not saying that makes you guilty of anything, but like it is odd. No, like but- if one of yeah. my like if Kim went missing. my pillow pillow. is the last thing on my mind like keep the fucking pillow like i don't give a fuck about a pillow
1: right right you'll get another one
0: yeah like who what like that Would i would never even come out i wouldn't even be on my mind like who cares (laughs) right so to this day maddie is still missing so they've never found or hair of her they never found any of her missing items nothing wow
1: that sucks yeah is she on the is she on the panel
0: not that i not that i know of no Which I think maybe the reason now now that I know, like what the criteria is and stuff, I think the reason is because remember, I told you that one of the criteria is that you have to be deemed like to be participating in high risk activities. Right. When she wasn't. Right. Like she wasn't known to hitchhike. She wasn't involved in sex work. She, you know, she wasn't involved in drugs. So I think she doesn't meet that criteria. Okay. So our next victim is 47-year-old Maria Practicante Rego. On October 9th, 2011, at approximately 7 a.m., police received a phone call claiming a man had broken into a home in Kitimat, And upon finding a husband and wife home, the man had viciously beat the couple. Oh, okay. I always have found it interesting when people like break into rob a place. I'm like, it's like, oh, he was surprised to find the couple there at 7 a.m. I'm like, dude, it's 7 a.m. on a weekday. Right. Of course there's like, you know, it's not like it's like 1 p.m. or something like where people are at work. Like most people aren't at work at 7 a.m. yet. Right. Like, what did you think was going to (laughs) happen? So both the husband and the wife were rushed to the hospital. The man eventually recovered. However, Maria finally succumbed to her injuries four days after the attack. Oh, Shortly after the attack, police arrested Tyler Scott Eli, who was convicted of the murder and was sentenced to life in prison. Our next victim is actually a Jane Doe, though so we don't know her name or her age. Okay. But on November 11th of 2011, police were called to a road in Telqua. A woman had been found laying in the middle of the road with severe injuries. She was rushed to the hospital, but later died of her injuries. A spokesman for the RCMP, whose name is Dan Moskaluk, said, quote, police are treating the death as possibly criminal in nature and arrested an adult male who was found at the scene on police arrival. Mm, okay. the man was taken into police custody, but was ultimately released. So the results of the autopsy have never been released and the case is still unsolved today.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: So that's all we know. They arrested the man on the scene, but then they let him go. So well,
2: All right. Well.
0: it's kind of hard to know what's going on with that one.
2: I'd
1: be interested to know, are they not releasing the autopsy results? Like, are they sealed because they don't want people to know what it is because the investigation's ongoing or.
0: I think, Cause... yes, I, I don't know that for a fact, but that's my okay. assumption is that they are withholding certain information because it's an open case
1: makes sense i mean we do that all the time but you wouldn't think that well i guess there must be something specific with the the, uh mechanism of injury or the cause of death or something that maybe only the killer will know or
0: i mean it's just a it's kind of a mysterious like odd case like she was laying in the middle of the road like injured like but she wasn't hit by a car supposedly because then they would just be saying it's a hit and run you know
1: yeah so she was probably either dumped
0: but literally in the middle of the road like not on the side of the road
1: Right, right. So she was either thrown from the vehicle. I mean, again, you'd have to see the autopsy and you know, see what type of, you know, what type of injury she had. You know, naturally you can tell if somebody's thrown from a car, you know, road rash, things of that nature. Or, you yeah. Know,
0: so the next victim was 18-year-old April Rose Johnson. So on December 20th, 2012, April and her fiance, Kane Sabe Penner. So April and Kane are engaged. April's only 18, so that's young to be engaged, but they're engaged. Yes. They decide they're going to go over to Kane's cousin's house. So his name is Richard, Richard Bourne. Okay. When they arrive, Richard's girlfriend, Patricia, is also at the house. So there's four people at the house. After some heavy drinking, the foursome decide to go target shooting.
1: Oh, of course.
0: Yeah, so uh, real smart decision making. Yeah, well, you know. There's nothing I would like to do less then shoot a gun when i'm drunk well
1: it's kind of fun
0: i mean i like to go <laughs> shooting kidding. when i'm sober
2: right right right, right.
0: after heavy drinking they decide we're gonna go target shooting so richard takes out which is the cousin right he takes out the his 22 caliber rifle and he's he a 22 Godly. it is always a 22
1: It's was a 22 caliber
0: he leans it against the wall in the kitchen. From there, Richard decides, well, you know what? I'm going to mix everyone another drink.
1: That's a, a hospitable host.
0: He has his back turned to the gun because he's you let, know, me, let
1: me up. guess. The gun's loaded, right?
0: Oh, yeah. The gun's loaded. Yes.
1: That's loaded round in the chamber. Ready to go. Let's lean yeah. up against the wall.
0: Richard's, you know, making some drinks. Yeah. The next thing he you knows, he hears a loud bang. He turns sure. around. April has been shot and the gun is like on the counter. April's fiance later testified that he had picked up the gun and was just kind of like looking at it, you know, examining mm-hmm. it. Sure. He accidentally dropped it against the kitchen counter and it had gone off and, and it hit April in the stomach.
1: Of course, it did.
0: April was rushed to the hospital, but her injuries were too extensive and ultimately April died. Of course. So, three years later, the crown charged April's fiance, Kane, with mm-hmm. manslaughter and careless use of a firearm. Okay. They charged his cousin, Richard, with careless storage of a firearm, careless use of a firearm, and unauthorized possession of a firearm. Okay. So I was unable to find what the cousin Richard was sentenced to. Okay. But April's fiance, Kane, was found guilty and sentenced to four years in prison. Personally, I think that's fair. Like, did you mean to shoot her if your story is true? No. Right. But at the end of the day, what you were charged with is what you it was careless like you were playing with guns when you were drunk
1: causing the unintentional death of another
0: yeah like I'm sorry four years to me is fair like you caused somebody to die because you were being like an idiot right although I will say a lot of April's family members don't believe that the shooting was unintentional because two months after April's death Kane posted on Facebook that he was already in a new relationship there you go well which don't you're on in itself that doesn't prove you're a murderer no, no, but, it, no. but it is, is there odd a history
1: next? though of like were they were they arguing a lot were they
0: not that i could find okay but it is interesting because you literally were engaged to this woman you were going to marry her spend the rest of your life with her All and right. then See, those are the
1: questions that are going to be asked
0: like and then you know. she dies and mm-hmm. two months later you're like oh, i'm over it i could date again
1: men are pigs Usually, let me tell
0: you, if I if I ever die and Logan has a girlfriend in two months, (laughs) I am going to haunt his
1: ass. (laughs) Okay.
0: he's going to be haunted. (laughs) If you say so, he already has promised that if I were to die, he's never going to get remarried. So you better hold him to that standard.
1: Oh, Oh boy. Okay. I'll bestow that upon your brother. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Moving on
0: movie god so our next case actually has two victims 40 year old tara lee ann williams and her common law husband 29 year old blaine albert bigfoot who went by the nickname sunshine which i thought that was really cute
1: wait 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 wait! say his name again
0: blaine albert bigfoot
1: blaine albert bigfoot AKA. but he goes by sunshine sunshine so
0: right. S- sunshine yeah, maybe it was
1: like a, like a happy person. like. Well,
0: you know. that's supposedly why he had that nickname, because he was okay. like always like really happy-go-lucky. All right, all right. On January 13th, 2013, several family members went over to the couple's mobile home and discovered that they were both deceased inside and called the police. The police discovered that Tara and Blaine had been selling both cocaine and crack from their home and soon arrested two people in connection with the murders. Nice. 19- what, crack? crack and cocaine oh okay so they arrested two people in connection to the murders 19 year old sean keith goodwin and a 17 year old who could not be named due to um this is the law you're we talking about yeah. so it's called okay. the youth criminal justice act okay so it prevents the press from publishing names of youths who have committed crimes okay both sean and his accomplice were heavy drug users and decided to go over to Tara's residence to rob her of money and whatever drugs she had available. However, the robbery went horribly wrong.
1: As they usually do.
0: Tara had gained a reputation in the Vanderhoof area for overcharging for her drugs. So I guess that pissed a lot of people off.
1: Well, don't buy them. I mean, I'm sorry,
0: but capitalism even reaches to uh, drug dealing, right? If you don't like the prices, sorry.
1: But, you know, when you're a junkie and you need your dope.
0: Well, and these, these two had like severe drug addictions. The murderers. That's one of the reasons that they picked her as their intended victim because they were pissed that she, in their mind, was overcharging for her drugs. That's gotcha. Okay. So both Sean and his accomplice owed a lot of money to other drug dealers in the area as well. Okay. Their plan was to go to Tara's home and pretend that they wanted to purchase some cocaine so they could determine where she kept the drugs. At that point. Sean was going to go into the bathroom, take out some bear spray, which he had hidden like on his person. Right. And then jump out and spray both Tara and Blaine and then steal their money and drugs and run away. Okay. My first question is bear spray. Mm -hmm. I've heard of it before. I know it's meant to deter bears. But like if you were to get sprayed with bear spray, is it like pepper spray? Like, Yeah,
1: so I think it. I, I don't know for sure, but I, I've heard of it too. But it's some type of I think it is similar to a pepper spray or some type of irritant that is supposed to, you know, keep bears away from you or at bay or whatever. I just but.
0: wonder if it would hurt as much as like pepper spray would or if it would just be one of those where you're like, oh.
1: I don't know. i have to look it up and see what it's made out of.
0: So when they arrived, all four of them used drugs together, which I find funny because it's like, you know, they're talking shit about her saying like, oh, she tries for her drugs. Well, she was giving you them for free when you got there.
2: Yeah.
1: Samples.
0: And Blaine showed the pair a new butterfly knife that he just purchased. What's a butterfly knife?
1: It's a Japanese. um, I I actually have several myself. They're the ones that you have to spin around. The uh, blade conceals in the handle. And there's like a double handle and you have to like whip it around in order to open it. You see okay. them like in Chinese movies and stuff like where
2: they go. And then, you know.
0: Okay. Okay. Sean came out of the bathroom spraying his bear spray. But like an idiot, he was only spraying the bear spray at Tara rather than Blaine, <laughs> who was obviously like the stronger okay. of the two.
1: Right. And with a butterfly knife.
0: No, he didn't have the knife. He had he'd oh, already oh. set it down, but he had just, oh, okay. you know, he had taken it out to like show it off.
2: So, right. Yeah.
0: So Blaine, when Sean came out of the bathroom spraying the bear spray, Blaine was actually standing in the kitchen at that point. So he hears all the commotion. He runs out and he throws himself on Sean. So they start fighting. Sean grabs a pot from the kitchen and starts beating Blaine over the head with it. Oh my God. This literally sounds like a wily Coyote, like. Like a Jerry Springer. (laughs) Yeah. So meanwhile, Sean's accomplice took the butterfly knife off the table because that's where Blaine had left it. So he began attacking Tara with it and he stabbed her repeatedly. Wow. Okay. Once Tara was incapacitated, they used the knife on Blaine, although it's unclear which one of them actually stabbed Blaine. Like, I don't know if it was the 17 year olds or Sean. Right. Okay. The two then stole the drugs and the money and they fled from the home.
2: Okay.
1: And they both, then Blaine and the girl died, I'm assuming. Yes. They were murdered, okay.
0: So, the police later found the knife hidden in a neighbor's doghouse close by. So, I guess as they were running out, they, like, threw it in a doghouse. Okay. After several tips, the police suspected Sean had been the one to commit the crime. So, once again, they set up an old Mr. Big Sting operation.
1: (laughs) Okay. Kind of like that, Mr. Big
0: Yeah, if you if you listen to our last episode, you know what a Mr. Big Sting operation is. If not, go back and listen. Eventually, Sean sung like a canary. He and his accomplice were arrested and charged with second degree murder. Both suspects pled guilty to the charges. The 17 year old served six years and 10 months for the crime. And Sean served eight years. Wow.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. However, since his arrest, the 17 year old has expressed remorse for his actions He was a model inmate during the the time that he'd served. He and his family have since moved out of Vanderhoof following the crime and his release. He remained drug free since his arrest. Okay. He claimed that his drug use was a large contributing factor to the crime. And he stated that getting involved with drugs was the worst decision he'd made in his life. He said, quote, no, sorry can make things right. This should never have happened. And my remorse, I can't express with words. Okay. So he does seem like he like turned his life around, which is like good. Yeah. But, I mean, you still killed somebody,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Still, it is what it is. So
0: at the sentencing, Blaine's mother, Karen John, stated, "quote This has affected me tremendously. Like it happened only yesterday. My heart feels like it has been ripped out of my body and had left me with a void that will never be filled again." So that was a sad case because yeah. both both of those all of them well all of them are sad but that one it's like well i feel like in the in this time period for some reason everybody gets really light prison sentences right they literally viciously stabbed two people to death and it was like oh you'll get six years that should do it
1: i i think they it's the the totality of the of the crime itself like the the scenario the fact that that the the victims were kind of i don't want to say that they had some culpability in their being murdered but you know they were engaging in illegal activities and So I think that all takes, you know, it's all considered when it comes time for sentencing and the history or the the, uh, criminal history of, of the offenders as well. Like they get down here, they call it scoring out. Like you get scored out depending on what your charges are and what your history is. And that's how they kind of determine what your sentence will be if you're convicted of a crime
0: that's interesting i wonder if they do the same thing in canada i'm sure they do
1: i'm sure yeah they probably have some similar where they look at you know the past history and if it's, if they're a repeat offender if it's violent you know if it's violent crime history or you know non you know like a non-violent crime you know like property crime stuff like that so i think all that's kind of taken at least it is down here i'm sure it's probably similar up there
0: so, our next victim is 21 year old Destiny Ray Tom. She was Indigenous. She nice. was a member of the Nadlay Wu First Nations. On March 22, 2013, Destiny had attended a party on the reservation. And the following morning, she was found dead on the front lawn of the home. Oh, wow. Of where the party was. Oh, okay. So, Destiny had been severely beaten and had succumbed to her injuries. Her boyfriend, Garrett Stephen George, was eventually arrested for her murder. He was charged with second degree murder and eventually pled guilty. Garrett was only sentenced to 11 years with time served for the murder. So he'll be out of prison in 2024. Jesus. Okay. When he beat, he beat somebody to death.
1: Beat somebody to death. I think he's going to get out.
0: That'll be here before you know it.
1: Yeah. Three more years. Yeah.
0: So our next victim is Immaculate Mary Basil. She went by the nickname Mackie. So that's what I'm going to call her. At the time of her disappearance, Mackie had a five-year-old son named Jameson, although she was not in a relationship with Jameson's father. Okay. So Mackie was indigenous and she was a member of the Tlazdin First Nation on June 13th, 2013 at approximately 5 p.m. Mackie attended the funeral of her aunt. Following the funeral, Mackie attended a house party on the Tachi Reserve. At around midnight, Mackie left the party with her cousin Keith and his friend Victor. At 12.14 a.m., Mackie ran into her brother at a convenience store while buying a bottle of vodka. She told her brother while in the store that she had come with Keith and Victor. So she stopped off to get some vodka, girl after my own heart. (laughs)
1: <laughs> at a convenience store you yeah, like
2: that
0: i mean hell yeah i've done it <laughs> so from there mackie left with keith and victor and this is what was reported that t- that they left in order to go to a hunting cabin which was nearby to pick up some red tin
1: red tin
0: yeah so i looked it up because i was like is that like slang for something like or like do they literally mean just like tin that is red tin like the material well
1: no, like the metal tin
0: yeah so I, I looked it up because I was like, maybe like, you know, a Canadian slang for something like, or I don't know. All I could find was like, it's literally just like tin that's red. But I don't understand why they would need to go pick that up at like 12 o'clock at night. Oh, we've all been drinking. Let's go pick up some red tin.
1: Unless, unless they had a job the next morning and they were trying to save time or knew that they were going to be partying. or I mean, that is weird, but okay.
0: Our Canadian listeners, if if that means something to you beyond literally just the red, like metal that's painted red. Please let us know. (laughs) Yeah, I need to know. After reaching the cabin and picking up the tin, they're driving away. And as they're driving away, they get into some sort of accident on the Leo Creek Forest Service Road between Tachi and Kuzchi. Okay. So a witness named Vanessa claimed the accident was apparent the following day because parts of the truck were found near a tree which had been split in half so clearly the truck it was stuck in the mud at that point but i'm i'm guessing that they had somehow ran into this tree and and the truck was no longer functional so i don't know if that was caused by drinking or like they just probably but following the accident both keith and victor claimed that mackie didn't want to wait around because now the truck is like not operable so she left on her own like walked away.
1: Started walking away. Okay.
0: At 10 a.m. the next morning, the same witness, Vanessa, and two other witnesses, whose name is Joseph and Ron, they were hanging out in front of Ron's home in Tachi, and they noticed Victor walking up the road wearing clothes that were wet up to his chest. So the trio thought that was kind of odd. They're like, "That's weird. Like, why is Victor like walking around in all these wet clothes?" But all at right. the time, they didn't think much of it because no one realized Mackie was missing yet. Right. Okay. So later, Victor claimed that he had walked home from where the truck was located. But given the time of the accident and that the accident site was over an hour away by car, Vanessa later told police that she thought it was odd that Victor would be seen by them so early if he had truly walked all that way. Okay. Mackie was very close to her sisters and she spoke to one of her sisters whose name was Crystal. They spoke every single day at 10 a.m. So when Crystal hadn't heard from Mackie for several days, she finally reported her missing to the RCMP on June 18th, 2013. Okay. So the police interviewed both Keith and Victor. They willingly agreed to take polygraph tests, which they both passed. But to this day, Mackie has never been found and there's been no arrests. Wow, okay. So some people are suspicious and they think that Keith and Victor had something to do with it. Normally, I would say, because remember, Keith is actually Mackie's cousin. Normally, I would say like, Well, what are the odds that he would, like, hurt his own cousin? Like, but we just had that other case where the guy killed and raped his own cousin, so.
1: Yeah, raped his dead cousin.
0: So, yeah, but Mackie's never, no one knows. Okay. So, our next victim is 49-year-old Anita Florence Thorne, who on the morning of Wednesday, November 19th, 2014, went to the Super Save gas station at 950 Victoria Street in Prince George. And then to a nearby Tim Hortons, which is a Canadian fast food place.
1: Tim Hortons, yeah. I
0: never, I've never heard of it.
1: I've heard of it. They got their poutine there.
0: I do love poutine. Yeah. I had to, well, I had to look up Tim Hortons when I was doing this because I was like, is that like a store? Like, what is that? And then it was like a fast food place.
1: I hear it all the time, Tim Hortons.
0: Well, next time I'm in old Canada, I'm gonna have to uh, yep.
2: check
0: out a Tim Hortons. Yep. When Anita didn't return home by 8:15 p.m. Her family reported her missing the following day at around 12 p.m. The RCMP found her car at the turnoff to Willow River, which was about 30 kilometers, which for us Americans is 18 and a half miles away from where she was last seen.
2: Mm, okay. the,
0: the vehicle was unlocked and inside was Anita's purse. However, her keys, cigarettes, lighter and cell phone were all missing. When Anita went missing, she was wearing a white hoodie a black puffy vest, and her brown hair was up in a bun. She is white. She's 5'2". She's 145 pounds, and she has brown eyes and brown hair that was shoulder length at the time of her disappearance. To this day, she's never been found.
1: Sheesh. Okay.
0: So I thought it was odd that her purse was still in the car, but like her keys, cigarettes, lighter, and cell phone were all gone.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's all odd. Like, where do these people go?
0: (laughs) I know. Isn't it crazy?
1: That's I don't know. That's got to be so frustrating being like the family family member of somebody who's missing and you don't know they're dead. They're not dead. They're you know like that's got to be
0: horrible.
1: I Can't imagine. Yeah.
0: So the next victim is 55 year old Roberta Marie Sims, who went by the nickname Robin. So this case is odd. Okay. So Robin and her dog vanished from Prince George, British Columbia, either on or shortly after May six, two thousand seventeen. The exact date is unknown. It is unclear who reported Robin missing. All that's been released is that she was reported missing by a, quote, concerned citizen. And she was reported missing on May 14th, 2017. Huh, okay. So that's about eight days after it's thought that she actually went missing. Okay. The police found... Her 2003 Chevrolet Trailblazer in the the it was a British Columbia plate that read BH248X. So after finding that vehicle, the the police reported to the public that they believed Robin was murdered and her vehicle was used in her murder. So they haven't said what evidence led them to believe that. But I'm assuming, you know, they found something in the car that police also stated that they believe that the perpetrator had been using the vehicle up until it was located by police oh so basically they were driving around in this car and the police found it like parked on like you know a side road like and
2: abandoned or whatever right? yeah yeah huh, okay so
0: police also stated that robin's dog was found with the vehicle but they didn't they still have not released whether the dog was found alive or deceased okay which i want to know that is that because yeah. they i saw a cute so picture the dog's adorable i saw a picture of it and i'm like was it was it did it survive
1: okay, yeah is it alive like what the hell
0: yeah, no, we don't know. All we know is it was found with the vehicle. So either it was dead in the vehicle or like it was alive. Okay. So witnesses have come forward and said that Robin was last seen on the afternoon of May six, two 2017. There were reported sightings of Robin at her home. So her neighbors saw her, you know, like
2: right. walking
0: around. They, she was also seen at the BX pub and the Spruceland CIBC Bank. Okay. There's all confirmed sightings that she was out and about that day. Okay. Robin's case is still open and the RCMP are seeking leads in her case. Robin was a white female. She was 5'4", 154 pounds. She had long blonde hair and blue eyes. She also had several tattoos. She had one on her upper left arm, her left upper chest, and a picture of a Robin bird on the side of her neck. So they're looking for anyone who saw her that day.
1: So she's missing, but they believe that she was murdered. Right. So
0: they've never found her body.
2: Right. Okay.
0: So I'm assuming they found like a large amount of blood in the vehicle or something. right? But if anyone has any information, the RCMP urges you to to call Crime Stoppers, which once again is 1-800-222-8477. So yeah, that's a sad one because they've never found her body.
1: And we don't know about the dog.
0: Yeah. And I I do want to know, is the dog alive or what?
2: Yeah.
0: Because that was in 2017. So the dog could still be alive today. depending on how old the dog was so our next victim is 53 year old francis brown she was indigenous and on october 14th 2017 she went to go pick mushrooms with a friend in smithers so i guess i guess that's like a popular thing that they do out there like they go mushroom picking
2: okay
0: so while out in the wilderness the two became separated
1: now are they mushrooms for cooking or mushrooms for lsd like for tripping,
0: you know. I don't know. I'm a, when I read this, I assumed it was like for cooking, but now that you say it, maybe maybe there were some special. Well, I mean,
1: I'm not. Yeah, I'm just saying maybe they're psychedelics or I don't know, you know, whatever.
0: Honestly, I hope they were psychedelics. Well, all right. I just think that's fun. Not that I've ever done psychedelics, yeah, but yeah. just I think that would that makes Francis a little spicy.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So Francis's friend was not immediately worried as they frequently got separated when they were out picking together. But when it was time to leave, the friend could not locate Francis and yeah. the friend began to get scared. So the friend retraced their steps and was calling out loudly for Francis because Francis was deaf in one ear. So she was a little hard of hearing. Well, you know, so she, she had to like shout louder than normal.
2: Right,
0: right. So she waited for some time hoping that Francis would reappear, but she never did her friend who's never been named publicly, but the friend was a good fucking friend because she wasted no time. She immediately went back to town. She reported Francis missing to the RCMP, then organized a search party to help her go out there and look for her. Wow. She was getting shit done. All right. She was like RCMP, I'm, I'm reporting it missing. And then she was like, round up the troops. Let's go. From the 15th to the 22nd of October, volunteers in the RCMP searched extensively for Francis. Evidence of a campfire was discovered, but it had rained and snowed heavily during that time period, so it made it difficult to determine whether it was related to Francis or not. Okay. To this day, Francis has not been found. (laughs) Following her disappearance, her nephew did a long-distance walk across Canada, which took him over a year to complete in order to raise awareness for Francis's (laughs) case. I thought that was cool. Like her family has made it somewhat clear that they believe foul play was involved because Francis had no underlying health conditions and she was used to hiking through difficult terrain. Like she was um, a very outdoorsy person. So they don't think like, you know, she would have just.
1: I'm curious why they like when they went out to go pick these mushrooms, like why did they separate? There's only two of them. They're like in the middle of nowhere, wherever they're picking these mushrooms. I don't
0: know, but the friend. I agree. Or at like, least
1: at least, stay within like, you know, 10 feet away. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like,
0: I mean, listen, I'm not an outdoorsy person, so I am never going to be in the wilderness by myself. It's just not going to happen. Right. And honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm very rarely in the wilderness with other people. Like, I don't want to do it. No, thanks.
1: Right. But I'm just saying, like, if you're going out, it's just the two of you in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I get it. You want to look in different areas to get your mushrooms. But you know what? Like, stay together.
0: Well, I think we could, if we can take one thing away from this case, it's like when you're, when you're picking mushrooms, seriously, like stay with somebody. Yeah, because, like stay, yeah. Well, and when you're, even when you're hiking, like doing whatever you
1: whatever you would. Yeah. Never, never separate. Never, ever, ever separate. Like, like that's the worst thing to, you know?
0: Yeah. But, so, but according to the friends, they would pick mushrooms together all the time. And I guess they would just, you know, like pick a meeting time and just go about their business. Yeah. And then they'd yeah. meet up again.
1: I mean, I, right. I get it, but it's like, I don't know. You're in. A, I mean, I don't know where they're picking. You know, picking these mushrooms. But if you're out, like you know, say like you're in the forest because you're getting wild mushrooms and stuff, where there's no other people. You know, there are. There's animals. There's. You know, what I'm saying like there's shit can happen. You can fall. You can. You know.
0: Yeah, it's not even necessarily that. Like there could be a boogeyman in the forest. It's more right. of like like Just you're saying like you could get injured.
1: Yeah. So stay within you know like ten feet, twenty feet. You know, but. Okay. Or at least
0: within shouting distance, you know, <laughs> that like, if I fall and get hurt, I can be like, Hey.
1: All right. So just thoughts, I you know, I hate this, you know, Monday morning quarterback, anybody, but you know, just. Uh, okay.
0: I mean, I think it's not really victim blaming. Like if something happened to her, oh. it's not her fault, but like, no, no. it is true. Like just to be safe. Like you should always have like a partner.
1: Right. I guess. Yeah. I don't,
0: I don't even drive in an Uber by myself. Okay. There you go. Okay. So there's very little information on our next case. Okay. As you can see, there's a pattern here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So just before 2 a.m. on June 2nd, 2018, the RCMP received a call about an injured woman. The police responded to the Yi Kuche reserve and discovered a woman dead from a gunshot wound. Oof. The woman was 39-year-old Shauna Lee Sam, determined by the RCMP that the shooter was Martha Joseph, who was charged with manslaughter. And that's all we know. Okay. So she was killed by another woman. I don't know if it was like a love tri- triangle gone wrong. Who knows, sir? Or... Well,
2: if
1: it was manslaughter only, then probably accidental somehow. Or
0: Yeah. Our next victim is 34-year-old Chantelle Catherine Simpson. On July 4th, 2018, Chantel was last seen in Telqua. The following day, on July 5th, her car was found abandoned near a gravel pit by an RCMP officer. The gravel pit was located on Gossin Creek Street in Terrence. On okay. July 7th, after not hearing from her for several days, her family reported her missing. Over the next 16 days, the police and volunteers searched for Chantel. On July 23rd, a train conductor spotted a body floating in the Skeena River. Once the body was removed from the water, police identified the body as that of Chantel Simpson based on tattoos. Okay. Police have never released Chantel's cause of death. And no charges have ever been filed in relation to her murder.
2: Okay.
0: So once again, not a lot of info. Yeah. The next victim is 18-year-old mother, Jessica Patrick Belkser. Jessica was indigenous and was Lake Babine First Nations. On August 31st, 2018, Jessica dropped her one-year-old daughter off with her grandmother, who had agreed to watch her while Jessica attended a party that night. Jessica went to a party held at the Mountain View Motel on Highway 16 in Smithers. Okay. When Jessica didn't return to pick up her daughter, her family was immediately concerned. When she hadn't returned by September 3rd, her family officially reported her missing. Wow. The police did not immediately organize any search parties, so the family took it upon themselves to organize their own. On September 15th, 15 days after Jessica's disappearance, her mother felt called to search a local ski hill known as Hudson Bay Mountain, which was northwest of Smithers. The family climbed to the top of the mountain and looked for circling birds. They spotted some near an embankment and peered over. There they saw Jessica's body laying below them. She was laying close to a discarded washing machine and her hair was fanned out around her face. She was still wearing the clothes she had last been seen in and her shirt was pushed up to just below her breasts. Isn't that crazy that the mom just like felt like she knew where she was? That's crazy. The family was determined that Jessica's case not turn into just another unsolved case involving an indigenous woman. Many people even wore red to Jessica's funeral to honor all of the missing and murdered Indigenous women throughout Canada. Unfortunately, Jessica's case is still unsolved today, and her family is frustrated by the lack of action by police. Wow. In 2020, Jessica's cousin told CBC News, "Quote: Two years, still nothing. They say they had leads, charges were going to happen, arrests were going to happen. Nothing was done. I feel like they're giving us the runaround." <laughs> Of Jessica, her cousin said, quote, she was always bubbly and goofy and never lost touch with her family. She's been in survival mode her whole entire life. She never let other people in on her misery. She was always trying to uplift others. Her daughter was the diamond in her eyes. She wanted to give her daughter the life that she didn't have. So that's the end of that story. Sad. Yeah, no one knows. No,
2: right. Unreal.
0: The next victim... Is another indigenous woman, 50-year-old Cynthia Martin, who on December 23rd, 2018, spent the day with her mother in New Hazleton, British Columbia. She left in her vehicle at around 9 p.m., heading back to her home. However, she never made it and was reported missing that night. The next day, search and rescue teams spotted her vehicle near Hagwilget Bridge, near Hazleton. If you say so. Hagwilget. Hagwilget.
1: Hagwilget. Okay. He got some tough names up there, boy.
0: Hag will get. All right. The vehicle was found locked with her personal effects still inside. The vehicle was not damaged in any way and was still fully operational. Initially, police thought Cynthia may have experienced some sort of car trouble that somehow resolved itself once the engine cooled off. So they were unable to tell what it was, you know, at this point. Okay. And that she had just kind of walked away from her vehicle to find help. However, her family feels that that's unlikely because she could have just called one of them to come in and help her. Right. Cause she, you know, obviously at this point she had a cell phone right. and she, the, where she was found was not that far from her mom's house. So it wouldn't have been like that hard to call her mom or somebody. Right. On Christmas day, Bulkley Valley search and rescue carried out an air search of the area, but did not find any sign of Cynthia. And to this day, Cynthia is still missing.
1: Oh, Jesus. All right.
0: Yep. So the next victim is 69-year-old Lauren Campbell Fabian, who on October 28th, 2019, which was not that long ago, went out on a walk around the Buck Flats area south of Houston, which I still have not been told if it's Houston or Houston. Okay. So I'm just going to go with Houston. Go with Houston. All right. When Lauren didn't return home, she was reported missing by her family. The RCMP conducted a massive search for Lauren that included SAR ground crews, a plane, and an RCMP helicopter, but Lauren was never found. Oh, okay. The RCMP has requested dash cam footage from anyone driving in that area on October 28th from between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Okay. Oddly, the RCMP has publicly stated that they don't believe foul play is involved, but have not said what has led them to that conclusion okay at the time of her disappearance lauren was five four and around 143 pounds she's a white woman with brown hair and brown eyes
1: seeing a pattern there
0: yeah there is a lot of you're right like brown hair brown eyes Yeah,
1: five four five that is
0: true yeah they're all around the same height i didn't even think about that yeah so so our next victim is 62-year-old Joy Morris, who on March 9th, 2020, was found dead in her home in Vanderhoof.
2: Vanderhoof.
0: Po- police had been called to the residence after a welfare check had been requested. It was evident that Joy had been murdered. Oh, okay. A month later, on April 10th, 2020, uh, a 42-year-old's named Justin Johnston, which, God, they didn't help him out with that name, Justin Johnston. Like, that's rough.
1: Justin Johnston. Yeah, that's...
0: Like, I'm all for a good alliteration, but Justin Johnston is just a little too close. Yeah,
1: we just have to call him JJ for short. JJ. JJ.
0: So he was arrested for her murder and was charged with second degree murder. Police stated that Justin and Joy had known each other, but it's unclear how. On September 21st, 2021, Justin was found not guilty by reason of mental defect. And the judge ordered that he be placed in the B.C. forensic psychiatric
1: psychiatric
0: wow he was placed in the bc forensic psychiatric hospital indefinitely so i would like to know more about that one like clearly he was like mentally ill but
1: yeah Yeah, they're putting him there indefinitely
0: but i'm like what what would you what were you seeing like what what like was it like you know like that other guy was like angels were telling him to kill people like
1: yeah what were the voices telling you exactly
0: (laughs) right the next victim is 26 year old jesse may Hayward lines on July 3rd, 2020 at approximately 10 PM. Jesse was stabbed to death by 56 year old Charlene Alexander in front of the Prince George courthouse. Charlene was arrested and charged with first degree murder, but has not faced trial yet. So Ooh. that's all the information I have. Cause that was literally okay. not that long ago.
1: Yeah. yeah, Last year. Sure.
0: The next victim is 34 year old Crystal Haynes Chambers, whose remains were found on august 1st 2020 east of prince george near highway 16 and there is nothing else known about her death and no one has been charged as of this recording so okay and that obviously wasn't that long ago either august 1st 2020 so our final victim as of today okay our final victim is 36 year old Kristen marion west was reported missing by her family after they hadn't heard from her in several days. Okay. After reporting her missing on August 7th, 2021, her family went to her apartment and located her dead inside. Sure. In- In the days leading up to her murder, Kristen had complained on social media that she had a stalker and that she had reported it to the RCMP and felt like the police weren't doing enough to protect her. The same day her body was found, the RCMP arrested the man she had accused of stalking her, and that was 36-year-old Dennis Daniel Gladue, and they charged him with second-degree murder. He is still awaiting trial because obviously that was, like, not long long ago at all. (laughs) Right. Okay, so now... What we've all been waiting for, going to dive into all the governmental information surrounding wow. this case. All right, here we go. Or all these cases. Right. So in 2005, the RCMP launched EPANA, which we've talked about, sure. which focused on several unsolved cases involving missing and murdered women along Highway 16. The okay. aim of the task force was to determine if it was the work of a single serial killer or multiple killers. Okay. Okay. In 2005 the task force began by only investigating 3 cases, but by 2007 their caseload had expanded to 18 cases. Okay. So that's a short time for all that expansion. Right. So here's the criteria a case must meet to be included on the e-panelist. Okay. So they must be female. Okay. They must be participating in what they deem to be a quote high-risk lifestyle.
2: Right.
0: That like I said that means they've been known to hitchhike and Either they're involved in sex work or drugs or heavy drinking, that sort of stuff. And that the last one is that they've last been seen or their bodies were discovered within a mile of Highway 16, Highway 97, or Highway 5. Okay. Since its creation in 2005, the EPANA task force has faced severe budget cuts. In 2009, the task force had received $5 million in funding, but by 2013, their funding had been reduced to only $806,000.
2: okay
0: so big difference yeah in 2014 it was revealed that the task force had been reduced from 70 officers to only 10 officers okay on october 22nd 2015 elizabeth denham the information and privacy commissioner of british columbia published a report outlining how government officials had quote triple deleted any emails they received relating to the highway of tears or to missing women in general
1: oh my god
0: She alleged in her report that in May of 2015, she received a letter from Tim Duncan, who was the former executive assistant to the transportation minister, Todd Stone. In the letter, Duncan alleged that the ministerial assistant, George, I'm assuming it's Gretis, but who really cares because he's an asshole. Okay. (laughs) He had ordered Duncan to triple delete any freedom of information applications relating to Highway of Tears or missing women in general. Wow. Wow. So basically any person who wanted information on a missing woman's case, they deleted that request and pretended like they'd never gotten it.
2: Right. Wow. Duncan
0: refused to. Duncan's the one who's like the whistleblower on all this. Duncan says he refused to delete the files. He was like, no, I'm not doing that.
2: Right.
0: And at that point, Gretis himself snatched his keyboard and deleted them all like himself. Oh, wow eventually so first he because when this all came out the police interviewed gretis at first denied everything but eventually he admitted to police that he had triple deleted all of the files and uh, then he, he am- arrested him wait till you hear what he was because i'm it makes me mad
2: oh boy
0: he immediately resigned obviously okay. like he had a choice all right so a year prior to this this whole scandal coming out In 2014, a team from the Ministry of Transportation had toured Highway 16 and met with Indigenous leaders. The purpose of the trip and the meetings was to produce safer travel solutions for those living in the area because that's one of the major causes that they think is a problem. Why so many murders and disappearances happen is because people don't have access to accurate, you know, traveling. Okay. They believe that that's one of the major reason that there's been so many murders and and missing persons, because so many people, a don't have access to transportation that they have like no choice, but to hitchhike.
1: Hitchhike. Right.
0: So the purpose of the trip, like I said, was to produce better travel solutions for those living in the area. In November of that year, the New Democratic Party had made the Freedom of Information Act request into the Highway of Tears. However, the request led to no files being produced. Despite the fact that they knew you'd have this meeting with all of these indigenous people and toured the area. So how are there no files relating to it? Wow. It was because they'd all been deleted. Oh, my goodness. So according to Denham's report, these files did exist until government officials destroyed them to, quote, skirt freedom of information laws. Wow. So basically, they didn't want to give these the information to these families and stuff because they knew that they were going to be open to scrutiny because they weren't doing what they could to investigate these.
1: Right. Yeah. They were just fucking putting them on the back burner. Like, who cares? Yeah. Nothing being done. Yeah.
0: So even families that requested it through the Freedom of Information Act, they never got any documentation. So All their requests were deleted. Wow.
1: That's horrible.
0: So this is all that Gretis was convicted of. He got he was convicted on one count of lying to the British Columbia Privacy Commissioner. And guess what his punishment was? Nothing. He was fined $2,500. That's it? That's it.
1: (laughs) Oh, got to love the government.
0: (laughs) So they basically got away with it.
1: Of course, of course.
0: So in March of 2006, various Aboriginal groups hosted a two day Highway of Tears symposium in Prince George. The victims' families and over 500 Aboriginal leaders attended the event. Shortly after, they issued the Highway of Tears Symposium Recommendation Report, which included 33 recommendations to improve public transportation, deter hitchhiking, and prevent violence towards Aboriginal women. 23 First Nations communities border Highway 16. So that's a lot of... Tribes that are all, you know, right. The area is very rural and poverty stricken because of this and a lack of public transportation. Many people, like we said, resort to hitchhiking in order to survive, right? Because they can't afford cabs, you know. Yeah. So the report recommended more lighting along those areas. Because that's one of the findings that they found is that it's more likely for crime to occur because it's so dark. Dark, A shuttle bus, which could operate along Highway 16. They also recommended improved educational, health and social services for Aboriginal people and counseling and mental health groups organized by Aboriginal workers. So in June of 2017, a subsidized transit service began operations on alternating days along a 250-mile section of Highway 16 between Prince okay. George and Burns Lake. So they did set up a, a public transit. Okay. In 2016, a national inquiry into missing and merger Indigenous women and girls finally began. Remember how everyone was calling right, for yeah, that? Yeah. So
1: 2016 um, is when that
0: took- Yeah, it took that long for it to happen, 2016.
1: Wow. Jesus.
0: So the goal of the government initiative was to, quote, to end the disproportionately high levels of violence faced by indigenous women and girls, including LGBTQ and two spirit people. So do you know what two spirit people are?
1: Probably some type of indigenous belief system or something.
0: So it's actually pretty cool. So in the indigenous community, they call them two spirit people, but it, and they're like highly revered, okay. but they're basically transgendered people. Like, from way back in the day, they, like, there have always been Indigenous people who were transgender, and they, their belief is that they are born with two spirits inside of them.
2: Oh, wow, okay.
0: They call them two-spirit people, and they're, like, highly revered. Oh, okay. They're considered, like, blessed, you know?
2: Right, right, okay.
0: The inquiry collected information from community and institutional hearings past and current research, forensic analysis of police records, so they actually went in and forensically examined all the police ca- the right. cases and they heard evidence from over 1400 witnesses, including survivors of violence, families of victims and experts. A year later, the inquiry released a report which allocated $50 million to health and support services to survivors and families of the victims. Wow. The money also went to a national oversight body at the RCMP, a complete review of police policies and practices, and they allocated money towards commemorating the lives and legacies of Indigenous women and girls. The inquiry had also allocated government financial support to over a hundred groups, which assists indigenous populations. So like various nonprofits and stuff. Wow. Yeah. That's where we stand now.
1: Okay. That's incredible. Well, I mean,
0: and it's still going on despite going all of on. the inquiries and stuff, as yeah. we can tell
1: <laughs> the task force is still there trying to do whatever they're doing with budget cuts and personnel cuts. And
0: yeah, no wonder they can barely do anything. Yeah. They only have seven officers working on it and they only have a budget of like 800,000.
1: Right. Yeah. Investigations are, you know, for a good investigation is expensive. (laughs) It's, we say that all the time. Unfortunately, you get what you pay for. So if you can't pay the people to do the investigation, then the investigation is not going to get done because people aren't going to work for free, you know, sadly. So sad. I know. So,
0: so I just wanted to say, I know I've repeated it several times throughout all of these episodes, but if you have any knowledge of any of these cases, Or any other case, really, for that matter, contact Crime Stoppers at 1 800 222 8477. You can leave an anonymous tip if you choose to, or you can give your name.
1: Yep. Gotten quite a few tips in my cases over the years. So, very helpful. The public sees and hears things that we don't. So, definitely uh, very important for people to get involved and, you know, to try to help solve any, any crime. You know, like people want answers, you know, families deserve answers. and stuff you know we need to come together and help each other you know
0: so that is the highway of tears okay so we have two questions all right a good palate cleanser to that there we go so the first one is from george so this is a good question what true crime case do you find the most interesting like what's your favorite true crime case
1: like across the board or
0: yeah i think so oh so i guess i would have to say that the, i think the true crime case that I find the most interesting which I actually want to cover isn't necessarily considered a true crime case by like everybody but kind of the conspiracy theory about Marilyn Monroe and her death I I would say that's like one that I find like really interesting.
1: Yeah, that, I've often wondered about that one too, because you know, kind of like the if you think back of of some of the uh, cases that have occurred, like the the assassination of Kennedy and all the conspiracy theories, and Marilyn Monroe. One, one that I'm very interested in, and I saw there was a documentary on it when uh, you know Kurt Cobain and how you know he killed himself.
0: Oh, that's uh, a very good one too. And I'm
1: and I'm throwing quotations up because the you know the documentary. Now, naturally, the the the, the person who made the documentary, kind of you know, I don't want to say there was a biased you know, a biased view, but you could definitely see the way it was portrayed or that Courtney Love, you know, definitely was suspicious or there was some suspicion surrounding that whole time and that whole era with Nirvana and, and Kurt Cobain. So, you know, I know, I know different investigators and police and there's, you know, been different inquiries and stuff into it and stuff, but I've always kind of wondered like what truly happened with him.
0: Yeah, that is an interesting one. We should try to cover that one too, eventually. Yeah, I think like that'd we be have- a one.
1: Yeah, we can. And I'm, you know, I'm big into music and stuff like that. So that one's kind of always been like, when it happened, it was like, wow, like, so
0: second one is from Rebecca. Okay. Hi, Rebecca. Howdy. What is your favorite? This is for you, by the way. Oh, okay. What is your favorite thing about being a detective? And what is your least favorite thing about it?
1: Oh, okay. Um, favorite thing about being a detective. I like the investigative part of it, figuring out what happened and trying to get answers for my victims, you know, or my victims' families, because unfortunately I deal um, in homicide. So majority of my uh, victims end up dying. I've always been intrigued since I started police work and just trying to figure out why something happened, like, you know, asking the questions and stuff. Um, so that would be I guess the fun part of it, the, the worst part of it is naturally um, when I have to go and notify the families. We, you know, we call them next of kin notifications when we have to go and uh, make contact with the families and let them know that their loved one has you know passed away and try to provide them some answers. Um, we typically always do next of kin notifications like right after we finish working the scene, like right after it happens, we try to do them as quickly as possible. So a lot of times we don't have a lot of answers right off the bat. And uh, they're very, very difficult to do. And, you know, and, and naturally everyone's reaction is different. I've had people like attack me. I've had people just stay quiet. I've had, you know, people run around like screaming their head off. It's, you know, the, the whole gamut of, of emotion. So that's, that's the yeah, part. I feel, I like,
0: I feel like you'd never, you never know how you're going to react in that situation until you're yeah, there. I,
1: I was on the other end of that when my mom died. You remember yeah. I got a phone call from the sheriff up where she lived, which we never do it over the phone. We always try to send at least local law enforcement. So not that I'm complaining about that, but that, so I kind of, I don't want to say that kind of helped me in doing it a good way. Cause there's no good way to tell somebody that, you know, the person they love is dead, but I've been on both sides of it. So I kind of understand, so I can kind of empathize with what I need to do and what that person is going to experience in that moment. So um, it's a necessary evil of what I do very, very difficult. That's the part I dislike the most. So there you go.
0: Well, thank you, Rebecca. That was a good question.
1: was, that was a very good question. So
0: well, until next week, so actually next week you guys are in for a treat because we're going to switch it up a little bit. Yeah. And my dad's actually going to tell me, about one of his cases that he actually experienced himself. So that'll be a really interesting episode. Yeah. Tune in for that next week.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out to us. We still can't believe that we have people who want to hear us talk.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. You know, keep sending in suggestions. We're going to get to them. Hopefully we'll get to all of them. So
0: I have a list going. So it's, it's there. There All right. All right. Bye.
1: Bye.